0: Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church, or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. Uh, Today we're talking about Nehemiah. This is going to be fun. We're going to talk about Nehemiah. And we've been in the middle of a series called the Hall of Fame, what it means to leave a legacy. So how do you walk out of a room? How Do, do you leave a room better than you went into it? That's really what a legacy is. Um, well, Or did you leave it worse than when you, when you went out of it? But I, our hope is that when I leave a room, that if I exit this sanctuary, the sanctuary was better because I, I was in it. Because I love someone, because I cared about someone, because I spoke into someone's life, whatever that is. Did you leave your baseball, your, your soccer team better after you left it? Like after practice, did you, when you leave, did we improve because I was there? That's a simple question. We need to ask that same question of our work. Did, did my place of, of work, employment, get better because I did my best today? What kind of legacy am I leaving? Is my family better because I was there? hopefully the answer is yes to this as well. And if it's a no, my family's worse because I was there. Hey, let's let's turn that around, okay? So we want to really step into that today. And the guy who can really teach us a lot about that is a guy named Nehemiah. And what he leaves is a legacy, is a legacy of leadership. Now, you may be wondering, Jared, why did you choose a leadership guy on the day of family worship? Because this is why. I'll, I'll tell you. Thank you for asking that wonderful question. Why is because Nehemiah doesn't really have the authority to lead the way he does. And as we look at kids or teenagers or whoever is here, we're leading from the second, third, fourth chair, right? And maybe you are that, you're not the owner of the business. You're not the president. You're not the CEO. You're someone down that line. But you still need to lead in some facet. How do we lead when we're not the person in charge? When the buck doesn't stop with us, but we still are called to lead well. We have to lead in our homes. We have to lead in our classrooms. We have to lead uh, in our places of employment. We need to lead wherever we're at. What does that look like? Because Nehemiah is leading in a place that he really doesn't have the authority to do what he's doing Yet he does it anyway, and he does it really, really, really well. And so there's a lot we can glean from him. We can learn from him this morning. Uh, Nehemiah, turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah if you've got a Bible with you. Uh, Nehemiah is kind of almost a hidden book of the Bible. Um, It is categorized in the histories. So it's before all the prophets. um, After, I think, 2 Kings... Or second Chronicles. I always get confused which one's first. Um, or Ezra, yeah. Ezra, Nehemiah, and then Esther. So there you go. Turn in your Bibles. I'm not hearing paper just flip. Everyone's got on the phone right now? Oh, they, thank you, Jesse. She's like showing me on her phone. I did it, Jared. You cheated. You got to use your phone. Um, so turn in your Bibles there to Nehemiah. And uh, this is a fantastic, fantastic uh, book of the Bible. It's an interesting book of the Bible. Because it starts out not taking place in Israel. This is unique, right? Uh, we think of the guys in the Bible. We think of people who would be in Jerusalem. We think of guys who'd be in Israel. We think they'd be there. Well, Nehemiah is actually a captive. He's a slave. What has happened just a few years earlier is that the Persia, or Babylonian Empire has destroyed everything about Israel. They destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They enslaved a bunch of the people. They moved them all over the world. They took the best of the best back to their capital city, and that's where we find Nehemiah. Nehemiah is back there, and he is trying to, um, he gets promoted and promoted and promoted. It's, if kids, I think you've been learning about Daniel. Have you been learning about Daniel lately? Um, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nehemiah is a part of that crew that is stuck in, in Babylon area. Okay, that's how we got there. But Nehemiah has conducted himself in such a fantastic way, such a wonderful way that he has been promoted and promoted and promoted to really the head bodyguard of the king. He is the cupbearer. Now, for years, I thought of the cupbearer, I was like, great, he's a waiter, right? He's the barista for the king. Would you like a double foam latte, sir? Like, that's not what a cupbearer is. A cupbearer is what his job is, is to see an assassination attempt. People that are trying to kill the king, he's supposed to spot them. He's supposed to be smart enough to figure out who the guys are that are trying to kill the king. Because as the cupbearer, he not only pours the drinks for the king, he has to taste the drinks for the king. And so one of the most popular ways in which to kill the king was to poison his beverages. So if I'm the the wine or the, the cupbearer, I'm gonna get really good at figuring out if somebody's gonna to try to kill the king because it's my job to take the first sip. Right? I don't know. My lips started tingling. Just throw that one out. We're gonna get a new one, we're fine. So he's getting really good at that. Now, if I have somebody if it's your job, if it's Aaron's job to drink everything, first, I got to really like Aaron if he's supposed to drink everything before I drink it, like we're swapping spit here and I don't really feel like kissing him. And so he's drinking everything that I'm going to drink and I'm going, all right, well, I got to really like him. I got to really trust him because my life is literally in his hands, what he hands me, what he pours me. There's there's accounts of, of kings over the years that their wine bearers or their cup bearers were uh, the wine tasters or cupbearers were paid off and that they put, would, would, would drink it. But yeah, it's fine. And then they would put the poison in and then hand it to the king. So I've got to really trust Aaron. And that's where we find Nehemiah at the story. I want to tell the rest of the story in a condensed version, but I need your help. Can you help me? Yes. Can you help me? All right, just checking if you're awake or not. Here. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell a little a sentence of what's going on in the story, and then you're going to ask the question as loud, not as loud as you can, about seventy percent of as loud as you can. The question will be on the uh, the this is called a projector screen, and that will be on the screen. Read that, and then we'll continue to go like that. So it's going to go: I read, I say something, you read what's going back. And then I will echo. You got got it? Kids, I know you understand it. Parents, do you have it? Okay. All right. Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem was in shambles. Jerusalem was in shambles. (laughs) Yes, Jerusalem was in shambles. The first thing he did was he fasted and prayed. Yes, he fasted and prayed. You are good at this. All right. Then King Artaxerxes noticed that Nehemiah was sad. Nehemiah was sad. Yes, Nehemiah was so sad. King Artaxerxes didn't want Nehemiah to be sad, so he sent him to Jerusalem with letters that would keep him safe. Yes, with letters that would keep him safe. Nehemiah gave everyone a job to do. Everyone had jobs to do. Yes, everyone had jobs to do. But Sambalat and Tobiah made fun of Nehemiah and said that if a fox walked on the wall, it would surely tumble down. It would surely tumble down. Yes, it would surely tumble down. Each worker had a spear in one hand and worked with the other because Sambalat and Tobiah were planning, to they were planning to attack. Yes, they were planning to attack. The workers finished the wall around Jerusalem in 52 days. 52 days. Yes, 52 days. When all the work was done, the people celebrated by worshiping God. They read Scripture, they ate, and they had a, festival. Read scripture, ate, and had a festival. Yes, they read Scripture and they ate and they had a festival. Awesome. Now you've read all of Nehemiah. Congratulations. Yeah. These are the big points of what's going on. And so we're going we're to see what's, what's happening there. But I wanted to give you kind of a Cliff Notes version. And what a fun way to get the Cliff Notes version of Nehemiah there, okay? And so we're going to push into the leadership of Nehemiah, the challenges that he faced, and what that means for me. Primarily under the understanding that how do we lead from the second chair? That if we're not in the big, nice, plush chair, we're in the second chair. How do we lead well? Because we're all all called to lead well in whatever circumstance we are. Whether we're in kindergarten, third grade, a college graduate, or 75 years old, we are called to lead in whatever circumstance we are in, okay? And so through that, we're going to learn a a little bit about how to to navigate the minefields of what that looks like. Nehemiah's first leadership struggle is to get someone who doesn't want to say yes to say yes, Nehemiah's first leadership struggle is to get someone who doesn't want to say yes to say yes. Now, every kid should be paying attention to me because I'm going to tell you how to get your parents to say yes when they don't want to say yes. Okay? Now, this is really important because everyone knows. I don't know. There's two kinds of people in the world that maybe means yes or maybe means no. In my life, in my life, and hopefully your parents are on the same page on that if they're not. Oh boy. Uh, so in my life, maybe meant no, right? And you're like, don't say maybe, 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 maybe, dang it. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. And like, I never challenged him on that. And my parents were like, sometimes maybe was actually maybe. We didn't know. But for me, in my head, it was maybe, no, maybe, no. Maybe means no. Don't say maybe, don't say maybe. Don't say, maybe, don't say maybe. So anyway, there you go. A little, a little. So Kendall, if I say maybe, she's like, okay, whatever. If I say maybe to Bowen, he's got a different personality. You're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, he's, or, uh, that's, what, that's what happens to him. Okay, there's a, there's a sliver. One in one million, I can have this happen. No, oh, It's just a different how my kids operate. His first leadership struggle is to get someone who doesn't want to say yes to say yes. Nehemiah 2, uh, verse 2 through 9. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not at all ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Nehemiah responds, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will the journey take? And when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And I also said to him, if it pleases the king, he's getting bold here, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he may give me timber and beams for the gates of the citadel, the temple, and the city wall, and the residence that I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the Trans Euphrates, gave them the letters, and the king sent uh, army officers and cavalry with me. Okay, so what is going on here? Is the, the cupbearer who has no place asking for a favor? He is not on par with the king. He shouldn't be going, hey, King, can I get a little? Uh, I need some stuff. What he is actually asking, this is just. Um, audacious ask what he is asking for is, Hey, can I go make one of the countries that you made subservient to you that you control? Can I make them give them the ability to rebel against you? Because once a kingdom and especially the capital of Jerusalem doesn't have walls and gates to protect them, to keep people from coming in or out, they have no ability to protect themselves. Think about your own house. Right? Do you have a a privacy fence or a fence? Raise your hand if you have a fence. Raise your hand if you don't have a fence. All y'all, you guys are in danger. No. (laughs) Because if you don't have, I don't have a fence at my house to the chagrin of all my neighbors. Because uh, it's, I don't know if you've noticed, it's rained 40 days and 40 nights now. And uh, I need someone with a, like a hay baler to come over and and mow my grass because this, uh, this idea, the retired guy behind me is like, you lazy bum. What what are you doing? Um, uh, anyway, we also have a dog. Now, the dog stays in our yard primarily, but she likes to wander because she's friendly. If you have a, a fence, you don't have that problem. Also, if you have a fence, we've had random people. Like, all of a sudden, you look in your backyard, and you see this random person just walking in your backyard. What in the world is going on? If you have a fence, you do not have this problem, do you? Right? So, in the same aspect of our own homes, a fences is people in, they keep people out. They keep hopefully bunnies out and they keep your animals in. This is how this is supposed to work. Same thing is true for a city. It keeps the right people in and it keeps the wrong people out. And so for Jerusalem and Israel to become a viable city again, it has to have walls. And this is what's breaking Nehemiah's heart. So it's a big ask to say, Hey, will you let, give me the power to build walls in my home city again? But with that power, the king knows this, is the power for us to become our own people again. And so that's what uh, is being asked of the king at this moment. How does he conduct himself? What does he lead to? First thing he does is he prays. And so if you want to get someone who doesn't want to say yes to say yes, what do you do first? You pray. All of chapter 1 in Nehemiah, chapter 1 Nehemiah is basically Nehemiah praying For this conversation to happen. He prays. Number two. He is trusted. Number two. He is trusted. Like I said before. He has gained trust. He has gained trust. He has gained trust. He has probably saved the king's life on multiple occasions. He's gone. He's done the dirty work. He's gone through it. He's been the cupbearer for a long time. He's risen in the ranks. He's been. He gets trusted. This is. Probably one where we get a little ahead of, the, ahead of the curve sometimes, even with our parents or with our, or with our employers or whatnot. We want to go right to the, hey, you should do what I want you to do and not to the, I've got to earn the trust part. And the third thing is he actually asks. Now, we may be in a place where we have come up with the right answers, Right? Paul Graff and I can sit in a room and come up with all the answers to the world's problems. But you know what? There's no one to even ask the question to. You know, uh, no one to talk to about that. But he's in the moment to say, hey, I've prayed about this. I've earned the right to speak. I've earned the, the, the trust. And in this moment, in that time, there, there's that, that decision to be made. Am I going to say something or am I not going to say something? Am I going to, uh, you know, uh, he might kill me if I ask this question. And he has the audacity, he has the courage, he has the bravery to ask the question. King, if it'd be okay, would you let me go build these walls back? But he doesn't, he doesn't start with asking. And this is the problem that a lot of us have, especially you kids, right? I'm going to put it on the kids. It's the kids' fault. Um, we ask the question before we've prayed about it and before we've earned the trust. Because you know what? Honestly, if we start with prayer, a lot of those questions that we want to ask will just go away. Because God will be like, that's, that's not really what you want. Oh. He prays first. He's trusted. He asks, and then he is humble about it. He stays humble about it. He's not entitled. He doesn't act like he, he deserves it. He prays. He's trusted. He asks, and he is humble. There you go, kids. I've equipped you, especially teenagers, with ways in which to get your parents to say yes when they don't really want to say yes. You pray about it, earn their trust ask nicely and be humble. I guarantee your yes rate will go up and maybe might be a yes and it might be a no. You have to figure that on your own. Okay. Nehemiah's second struggle was organizing a disorganized people and none of you in any of your places of employment could ever relate to organizing a disorganized people. Right. Um, But that's his second struggle. What does he do to do it? Chapter three of Nehemiah is really boring to read. It's really boring. You're like, why, why is this in the story? There's a reason. It's Nehemiah organizing the people of Jerusalem. It's him putting them in the right places so the best possible outcome can happen. So how does he handle the, the, the challenge of getting disorganized people to be organized? He identifies the problem. He identifies the problem. What's going on here? I'm gonna identify the problem. Second thing he does is he motivates exceedingly Exceedingly well. How does he motivate them? He takes chapter three is all about these people, and he says, "You know what? I'm going to have you build the wall right behind your house. Because you know what? if I'm working on a wall that's supposed to protect my family from bandits and bad people and people who are trying to come in and steal my daughters and sell them for, in slavery, if I'm trying to protect them, I don't want to go build a wall over on the other side of town. I want to build the wall at my house first. And you know what? If I'm protecting my family with that wall, that's going to be the best possible wall I can build. So instead of constricting everybody and saying, let's start at the right and keep on moving clockwise clockwise around, he doesn't do that. He says, you go behind your house. You build the wall the best you possibly can right there. And so chapter three is all about these people. He said, okay, you're going to meet everyone who lives here. You're going to meet at Bob's house. Bob doesn't exist in the Bible, but you got it. And you guys are all going to meet at Jim's house, and you all are going to meet at Steve's house, and you all are going to meet at Phil's house, and you all are going to meet at the Baker's house, and you all are going to meet at the Goldsmith's house, and you're just going to go around and because you all live close to each other. So we would all, because we live close to here, we would build the, the wall right next to the church because we're all here, right? Got it. And we'd do the best possible because it would affect our families, and it would affect our kids. So, yes, it might have made a little bit more organizational stints, to get all the guys working in one spot at one time. But for motivational sense, he got them right where their heart was. They cared about their families. He identifies the problem. He motivates them. And he gives credit. It's so important in motivating people that don't want to be motivated. right? He gives them credit. Chapter 7 is all about, hey, this person did this and this person did this and there's that many people here and there's that many people here and they're awesome and blah, 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 blah. And he just spends, there's a whole chapter in the Bible saying good job to you people. For all eternity, the people who did good job, yay, good job. There was a 100 of you and there's 50 of you and there's whatever. He identifies the problem, he motivates and he gives credit. The third issue that he's got to deal with is he has to deal with difficult people. Nobody in this church ever has to deal with difficult people. I know as a pastor, never deal with any difficult people (laughs) whatsoever, right? Those difficult people might be in your classroom. They might be on your sports team. They might be in your place of employment. They might be in your home that you might have married into their family or they might've just been grown there. Uh, Just ask Kendall. Uh, So you deal with difficult people, right? How do you deal, deal with difficult people? Nehemiah, if he teaches us anything in leadership, he teaches us how to deal with difficult people. We talked about it in the, in the talkback section of Tobiah and Sambalot. Basically, Tobiah and Sambalot are gangsters. They are thugs. They are, the theological term is jerk faces. All right. They are meanie heads to the max. What they are doing is they are extorting or saying, hey, when Jerusalem doesn't have walls, they would bring their gang into town and say, hey, Van Ikes.'" guys got a nice little kitchen there be terrible if somebody destroyed your kitchen how about you give me 50 pieces of bread the van ikes would be like well we don't want our kitchen destroyed today here's 50 pieces of bread and they would just keep on coming in and doing silly stuff like that to people because when you have no walls you have no protection everybody on the same page we cool okay so sambal and tobiah they see nehemiah start to build these walls and like hey that's where we go for bread we'd hate to get a job and you know, make our own. That's where we go for gold. That's where we go for you know, for donkeys. That's where we go for this. And so they go. They see that their extortion racket is going to be shut down and they get very cranky about it. The first thing they do is they say, they come to Nehemiah like, we're going to tell on you. It's very scriptural. We're going to tell on you. We're going to write a letter to the king and say, you're building the walls. No, 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 boo, boo. Neener, neener, neener. And which should scare the dickens out of Nehemiah should scare him to death. Oh, no, they're going to tell. Except Nehemiah knows, I got a letter here that says I'm supposed to be doing this. Oh, you're going to tell the king, you know, that I used to you know, save his life? You're going to tell him that I'm doing something mean? Good luck with that. Right? That's what Nehemiah does because because he's built trust, because he's done the permission, because he was humble, because he asked the right questions, that doesn't scare him. So how does he go through the, the we're going to tell on you? We're going we're to we're do all these things. He cuts through lies with honesty. We're going to do this. We're going to tell them that you're going to rebel. That's what, that's what they say to Nehemiah. We're going to tell them that you're building a, a, an army here in, in Israel. He cuts through lies with honesty. How do we deal with difficult people? We cut through lies with honesty. What's really going on? Second thing he does is he approaches danger areas, with wise caution. He approaches danger areas with wise caution. And so Tobiah and Sambalot are getting more cranky and more cranky and they gather all the thugs around them and they're going to attack the city until they look at the city and they see all the guys. They got a spear or a sword in one hand and a brick in the other. They're laying it So he said, instead of forming an army and and, and pulling people off the walls and, 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 and changing his plan, because if he can get this wall built in 52 days, if he can just do it really, really fast, all these problems go away. And so he exercises wise caution. He says, be ready, be smart, have a spear in your hand, be ready to protect yourself. And so he mobilizes all of the people to protect themselves. He cuts through lies with honesty and he approaches danger areas with caution. How we deal with difficult people is the same stinking way. We cut through lies with honesty. This is what's really going on. We approach danger areas with wise caution. Be prepared. Third thing, he uses wisdom to deal with traps. He uses wisdom to deal with traps. Now, Samuel and Tobiah, they're not done yet. They're really getting cranky now. And so what they try to do is they say, hey, okay, this has gone on far enough. Let, why don't you come out and meet us? Why don't you come out to this hill outside of Jerusalem? We'll have a little chit-chat. We'll have a little party and talk this through, and we'll figure out something about your crazy wall that you're building. Well, what they really wanted to do is what they wanted they wanted uh, Nehemiah to come out to the hill so they would have him by himself and they could kill him. That's what they wanted to do. They forget, once again, that Nehemiah's job for the king was to see through plots of assassination. He's like, mm, I've seen this movie before. It never works out well for the guy who goes out there. <laughs> he's, he's, ah. He sees, So he uses wisdom to deal with traps. If you are dealing with a difficult person, you need to use wisdom to deal with traps because difficult, unhealthy people will try to trap you all Day long. Some of you are like, I needed this message like last week. <laughs> You've got to cut through lies with honesty, approach danger areas with wise caution, and use wisdom to deal with traps. We deal with that with people. Nehemiah deals with it in people thousands of years ago. We've got to deal with it in people in our workplace, at our schools, on our teams, in our families today. Cut through lies with honesty. Approach danger areas with wise caution and use wisdom to deal with traps. This all starts with one thing. He prays. His heart is heavy with it and he prays. He gains trust and he asks the question. What Nehemiah does is he gives people of of Israel hope again. The response to this beautiful thing of the wall being built is a revitalization and a reawakening of the Jewish people. After they get done with this, you guys in the talkback thing talked about they threw a festival and they had a party and they read scripture. It was the first time the scripture had been read in in a long, 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 long time. Uh, Maybe publicly read like 300 years that the scripture had been read publicly. People had forgotten about the festivals. They'd forgotten about the good good stuff. They'd forgotten about the fun parts of being Jewish. They'd forgotten who they were, and the scripture being read reignited a love affair for God. All because he prayed about it. He was trusted, and he asked some questions. He led from the second chair, the third chair, the fourth chair. It's a it's a lesson that we can learn ourselves. How do we deal with difficult people? How do we get people to say yes to when, when, we, when they don't want to say yes? How do we overcome these obstacles? It all starts with we pray about it. And then we take action. Nehemiah ignited a revitalization of the whole country because of his actions and because of his leadership. It's the same thing that everyone in this room have the, has the ability to do in our places of work, our places of play, and our places of school. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to have the kids in here. Thank you that they're so awesome in listening to me talk. Lord, I thank you for who they are and who they're becoming. Lord, I pray a special blessing on their parents this morning that they would be rejuvenated as school comes to a close, that they would see all the craziness of scheduling around kids home from school as not an inconvenience, but as an opportunity to love their children in a deeper and more meaningful ways. Lord, wherever we find ourselves this morning, that you would call us to lead well. That even if we're not in the first chair, that if we're in the second, third, fourth, fifth, it feels like we don't have any authority whatsoever, that you have called us to lead in whatever context we're at. So God, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your courage. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com to continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ. You can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.